Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast. This is the Living It Up Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we talk about Keegan Bradley winning in Hartford, and we take an early look at how the Ryder Cup hopefuls are trending, and the U.S. Congress has nothing better to do than call the PGA Tour, Live, and PIF officials to testify. But first, this episode is brought to you by Zero Restriction, the leader in performance golf apparel. Designed in partnership with PGA Tour Pros, Zero Restriction's outerwear keeps you competitive no matter the weather. Head to ZeroRestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George and PGA Tour winner Billy Hurley III. George, let's start with you. What did you make of the New England boy winning in Hartford? I think it was great. I mean, it's I, I guess it's a hometown. I guess anything north of New York makes Keegan the hometown kid. Um, and he he went out. I mean, it was an absolute horse race to get as many birdies as you possibly could. And he guess he had more than everybody else. So uh, it's always a great tournament. Like that course is kind of fun to watch. I know some people kind of get upset that, you know, it's a race to 24 under, but there's good risk reward holes. You know, I think it was pretty soft. So guys could just shoot right at pins and not worry about anything. Um, there's always great crowds. So it was a nice change up from, what was kind of a tournament in a library uh, last weekend at the U S open. Um, and I, you had some guys pop up. I mean, for a hot minute, it looked like Ches Reeve might sneak back in and, and pick one off. And, you know, and then when you look at the top 10, kind of all the big dogs were there. Um, maybe uh, JT's found it and turned it around. Uh, he was, he was hanging out. I, th I think I saw him at 12 under at one point, which I don't know if he had, 12 under in the previous six events combined. Um, so maybe he's whatever was going on, uh, his leaky gut has stopped leaking and, or he's just back to pizza and going with whatever's working with him. So uh, it was, it was good. I did not watch a lot of it for, for most people in the world. It's member guest weekend. Um, and so I was not in our member guest, but playing a lot of golf watching our, our shootout at the end uh, and caught the, the last, uh, six holes of this today and it was it was good i mean they almost keegan almost backed up a little bit but can't lay just couldn't make a charge to even make it kind of interesting so good good for keegan good win uh i can't stand watching him play the way he approaches the ball and then backs off the ball and then approaches it and it's almost like he's gonna challenge it to a fight or something before he swings and um Seems otherwise like a great all-around guy. People seem to really like him. So good job, Keegan. Yeah, it's interesting you talked about like sort of the end stretch of of this golf course. I think it it's it's a pretty well-known stretch with the risk reward drivable par for 15th. And you've got water in play on the par three 16th and and water. I don't know if it's the camera angle or not, but Billy, that 17th hole looks extremely claustrophobic on TV. And I never see anyone you know, pump it right in the water there. So I'm, I'm always curious, like, is it just the camera angle that makes that shot look a lot more challenging than it really is? Cause there never seems to be that many fireworks on, on 17, but I'm curious as someone who's, who's played this event, like, what do you make of, of Hartford in its designated event? It was actually an event that used to always draw a pretty good field for this position in the calendar. Uh, but I'm curious, Billy, what you make of, of the golf course and the leaderboard that we saw. It was funny. Cause I was like, 
watching some of it today going like i feel like i've seen this before and and then as i was like looking up some of the the tournament history i have seen this before ches Revy beat keegan bradley in 2019 at this tournament so it was okay that, that kind of reminded me of like why i felt like i've seen this before but you know george said it um you know it was soft and you know when it's soft low numbers win on the pga tour period um jordan spieth i think won in the in kind of the I think it was maybe was it Daniel Berger when you know the famous like yeah, rake playoff throw, over Daniel Berger when he you know when he the, 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 the yeah the the rake throw out of the bunker chest bump thing you know um, that was twelve under par that played off that week so so the course isn't a pushover it's just when it's soft it's soft and like it doesn't matter what your course is and it's not it's so the course isn't long so it's not seventy four hundred yards it's, you know it's under seven thousand I think and so it's you know, if it's soft, it's going to get chewed up. But if it's firm, like that's and that's where, you know, tried and true, like firmness is the only defense for golf at the highest level. Golf courses have to be firm. So that's that's kind of what I make of it. You can't you, you can't um, control that. Right. If everybody would love to play a firm and fast golf course, that's a better test. I think that's universally kind of um, accepted and, and agreed upon when it rains, it gets soft and, you know, then birdies come out in, in, in buckets, but you asked about the 17th. Um, the 17th is kind of one of those visually deceptive holes in that it does look claustrophobic, even from the tee shot, but it's actually kind of quite wide, but that's that. Said, and, and it's also less than driver, right? It's, it's, it, I think most of the years I played, I hit three wood, maybe a handful of hybrids, but that I kind of always felt like, eh, just too far back unless it was somehow downwind on that hole or something. But it was mostly three woods off of that tee. Um, when you did have the end of the wind one, um, that's when it got maybe a little more hairy because now maybe you wanted to hit driver to not have a six iron into the green or something. But um, generally not a lot of balls in the water there, but a lot of balls in the left bunker. And that's when, you know, you kind of get the, do you draw a good lie in the left bunker or not kind of, kind of thing, but um, definitely a good finish of a golf course. I really, I mean, 15, 16, 17, 18, a good, good finish. I think you can put the 15th as the drivable par four as one of the best drivable par fours on earth. Um, it's just everything about the way the numbers are, where the slopes are, the front of the green, there's a, you know, just, just everything about where those numbers fit in, in the tour pro golf bag, you know, in yardage gaps is just really perfect. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of a, a fun, I think that's, you know, again, just one of the better drivable par fours, not just on tour, but like, like on earth. Yeah. I caught and, a couple actually early round looks at 15 and I agree with what you said about like sort of just the right numbers. It was one of those things where like for a lot of these guys, it's like, do I hit three wood? I can run it up like near the front, but then that bunker down the right comes into play. And, and particularly when they put that pin on the left side, like that left back left pin. I mean, that is one of those ones. Like I kept seeing guys, you know, even with a chip, whether it was like, you know, front side of the green or front, right. Like they just couldn't even take on that pin position. Like they were all like ending up whatever it was like 15, 20 feet short, just because yeah. you, know, you can't, you can't be anything but super precise if you're going to take that on. Yeah. And front left's even harder um, because it's much more severe kind of on the front left. And if you get anything 
if you get anything turning left of the center of that green, it goes in the water on the left. And, you know, so there's just a lot of different ways to play it. It's got a, there's a little down slope about 30 yards short of the green that if you can land it there and, and kick it forward, or you can try and fly it just short of the front edge and hop up, you know, so there's just so many different ways to kind of get it done there. And it, it's really a good, good hole and comes at the right time to me. Like the, 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 the 15th, 16th hole just feels like the right time for, for one of those holes to me, like 12, 13 is kind of too early in the proceedings and then 17 is just kind of, you know, too late. Feels like it should be a little bit more of a, of a, of a full golf shot kind of, kind of deal on 17 and 18. So I just kind of like where that sits in the, in the flow of that golf course. And, you know, obviously Keegan just, you know, flagged it for most of the week and, and a couple of guys almost shot 59, you know, a bunch of, bunch, handful of 60s, 61, 62. I saw a stat there was every score from 60 to 76 on Saturday. Ooh, First time good. in the history of the PGA Tour, you felt bad for the guy when they scrolled through this and you got to like whoever it was that shot 75 and 76, but, you know. Yeah, Denny McCarthy with a first round 60, Ricky Fowler with a third round 60. This famously has been a course where guys have have blitzed this over, you know, over the years. Yeah, Furyk's um, 58. Furyk's 58. And Keegan, I mean, how would you feel shooting rounds of 62, 63, 64 consecutively to get going? I mean, his 68 to close it out and win by three seems pedestrian. And I think he was kind of, you know, guiding it, you could say, a little bit on, on the way in, just trying to, you know, give himself looks at, at birdie. And if you can make pars, great. Don't uh, make double. That was yeah. the name of the last six holes for him. Yep. No doubles. That, that was, that was all you needed to do coming in. But one of the names that I think was, was super interesting to look at was Zach Blair. You know, for many people that follow golf, Zach has maybe been more famous for his off the course endeavors than his on the course prowess. Um, and he's been hurt for the last few years. Uh, so coming on a major medical exemption, he had uh, what I read was about eight starts remaining to to get some nebulous number of FedEx points, which I think ended up being like 271. And although it's unofficial, it looks like he's at least going to secure his place to, to to get his tour card for next season and may have secured himself, you know, status for the remainder of this season once the FedEx Cup points get, you know, gone, go from projected to official but kudos to Zach Blair. I mean, I was looking at his scorecard coming in and the guy is even par through his first six holes and plays the final 12 holes, eight under par with six birdies and an eagle coming home uh, to get himself $1.8 million since it's a designated event and also secure his his future. So for a guy, again, that's been, you know, building golf courses and, uh, you know, real and fake. To, yeah, doing head fakes to, to do build golf courses. Uh he apparently can uh, play play some golf as well. Yeah, I mean that, and uh, you know, this is one of those things. And obviously, like they're 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 watching the leaders come down the stretch. So they didn't talk about it as much when I was paying attention to it. But this is these are the kinds of things they need to do a much better job doing the stories on um, in the telecast because of you know, even though it's a second place finish, and we talked about this with like Eric Cole early in the season, who, by the way, has just put together a ridiculous season um, going off that Honda uh, finish. But it is, you know, what a second place finish means to him, where it slots him, how it kind of can maybe catapults too big a word, but, you know, just get him staying on tour, keeping his card. Because uh, he is, and he's one of those guys that, 
he is really kind of his off the course stuff is pretty interesting. Uh, I think he famously this week skipped practice rounds to go play winged foot Eastward Ho and like Fisher's Island or something. Cause he's a, I mean, he makes no bones about it. He's an absolute um, golf course nerd and just loves the architecture piece, loves all the things, you know, looking at a hole, thinking of all the possible shots and, you know, maybe he's one of those guys that just can't get out of his own way, um, overthinking things. And he's out on a golf course trying to get cute with it or whatever. But uh, I mean, it's a, it's a cool story and I don't know that they really did much justice to it. Yeah. It's interesting to think about these designated events. I remember actually in 2016, I was at the, at the players and we were talking to a number of, of players that were in the field that week. And they were talking about the significance of the players in terms of like, where you finished, right? Because that set you set you up for the rest of the season, but also just the money. Like they were like, yeah, top top forty plays really well at the players. Top twenty play plays really well at the players relative to all the other events in that in that time period in 2016. And now you've got the equivalent of you know 12 players championships when it comes to like guys that you know get top tens, like Zach Blair finishing tied two. But you mentioned uh, Ches Reedy with it with a T four, a guy like Min Woo Lee who's having an ascendant season. T9, like those are massive paydays for them and their caddy and a lot of points and momentum for the rest of their year. So it is, you know, it's, it is super interesting to just think about the designated events and what that's going to mean and the flow next year, because the guys that end up getting into these that aren't the, the super quote unquote superstars and have good weeks like that is going to be a good, good week. No question about that. I mean, I, you, you know, 1.8 per second is like, wow. Like, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I get that's what the designated events are, but it just always, it's still kind of shocking. Like that was only the players, right? Like, like five years ago, just five years ago, it was like a million dollars for second place at the players. And that was like, holy cow, right? Big, big deal. Now it's, you know, 1.8 per second. I, I, I mean, George, I totally agree with you um, on telling these stories, you know, Zach Blair, you know, the, these types of things as they occur throughout the season. And I watched the middle half of this, um, didn't get to watch the the finish, but in the middle, when Zach finished, he was, you know, 20 under in second place. And I was like, Oh, that sounds like a T four to me. You know, I mean, I, I'm shocked that Cantley or somebody else didn't get to 21, didn't get to 20. You know, I mean, they kind of just all like a little stalled out that, you know, that Reeve didn't make another birdie or something just to, so the, the significance of, of like solo second is, um, or, or T second or, or how all those things come together and just the difference between those is, is, is massive. And yeah, I, I was thinking about that as Cantlay kind of made a mess of his final few holes and, and like, you know, Zach had already finished up and I don't know if he's watching or if he's, you know, already traveling to go play his next, you know, top, top 20 golf course in the world. But, you know, it was one of those things where like each of those missed putts was, was literally like a quarter million dollars for, for Zach Blair each time. Right. Each time Patrick right. Missed that putt. And exactly. So, so on that note, Billy, I mean, we all know the, the magic numbers on the scorecard, uh, you know, breaking 60 and, and these kinds of things as, as tour guys are playing a tournament. I mean, are there tournament scores? Like when you start getting 20 under, do guys get a little nervy at those? Cause it's, it seems to me this event, you know, at least, you know, the first three days was if you are not full pedal down, you're 
you're going backwards. Um, you know, you, you could shoot 66, 67, which in any given tour stop week is going to move you up a decent amount. And you might've been going backwards. Um, so when, when the, the, the whole round gets to, I mean, the, the tournament starts to get to 20 under 22 under now we saw 23 was the winning number is, is that something that gets in guys' heads? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction. For more than 30 years, Zero Restriction has been the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. Check them out at zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at zerorestriction.com for their support of the Living It Up podcast. I don't know that relative to par really gets in guys' heads. I mean, I think, you know, they're, I don't know how much Keegan knew or didn't know or whatever about, you know, two, uh, 253 being the lowest 72 hole total on the PGA tour. That was, uh, I think Justin Thomas at the Sony a couple years ago when he shot 59 in the first round. And, um, Maybe it was a, that was like 17 or, or something, 18, something like that. And um, so, you know, there was this, you know, could he get to 28 under kind of, kind, of, kind of thing? And then that would have been, you know, 252 and would have been the lowest number of strokes taken, not the lowest relative to par, but the lowest number of strokes taken. So I, I don't know how much he knew about that or not. He Keegan probably knew that he had never converted a 54-hole lead. So he probably wanted, you know, that that was probably, you know, definitely a, a piece of his his thinking. Um, I think that the interesting thing that I've found over the years, and I don't know how much of this holds true because um, I haven't played the Corn Ferry Tour in in quite a while, but it always felt to me like on the Corn Ferry Tour it was like Saturday hard day, and like a couple under par was like a really good score on Saturday. And then guys just like kind of freed it up and like, you know, it was no longer a good score on Sunday on the PGA tour. I feel like that's reversed. And like Saturday is like moving day and guys are going to go shoot six, seven, eight under par and like get after it. And then like Sunday, you know, you kind of see a lot of these, guys stuck in neutral like a la Cantley, kind of coming in in there um you know Ches Reeve kind of not getting it going in the final group you, you just kind of see more of that on Sunday I feel like on the PGA tour and more of that on Saturday on on the Corn Ferry tour and I, I don't have a good answer for why that is um other than just potentially the magnitude of winning on the PGA tour and the you know kind of the what all that means and and kind of the the corn fairy tour maybe is just you know a, a little bit more of a, a shootout in general week in and week out so um but i don't think that there's really a a, a to par number i don't i don't think that you know 20 under oh everybody kind of gets nervous because there's you know a minus a red 20 next to their name You're, you you more care about if that red 20 is up by one two or five it's interesting to look at Keegan Bradley's career. Everyone knows him as a major champion, but it it's it's uh it's remarkable to think that that was 2011 and here we are a dozen years later. He won two times that year, won the Byron Nelson and then the PGA. 
The next year wins the WGC Bridgestone Invitational. So he looks like a guy that's going to be a guy. But but by the way, he was using a belly putter at that time. And, and you know, soon thereafter, the USGA decided that that was making, making putting too easy and taking some of the skill out of putting. And so they took away anchoring. And he, along with Webb Simpson, kind of went through this dark period where you know, those were guys that had gotten very, very good with that, with that method of putting and had to find themselves again. And so when he won the 2018 BMW, that was, that was a really big deal. And now he's clipped off two wins. And so officially has six PGA tour victories, but scrolling through his bio, I think that it's just as remarkable that he won the 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019 CVS health charity classic five straight CVS Health Charity Classics. I mean, that's got to be worth at least a, a tour victory in there. I mean, come on. What's that? Yeah, I mean, you got to beat Billy Andre. You got to beat Brad Faxon. Well, he, he won it with know, Brooke Henderson uh, and Billy Andre the last yeah, three times. Oh, okay. So. Oh, okay. They, well, they turned it into a three-person deal. I didn't yeah. know that. Um, yeah, that's a, that, that's a, a long-time uh, New England charity event run run and hosted by by Brad Faxon, Billy Andre. Um that uh, I think you have to be from New England to get invited to. But, but it's such a it's such a stark thing to think about how great he was during, you know, 2011, 2012. Correct. When the belly putter was a thing. And I, I don't know, Billy, was it, you know, maybe a, a couple dozen guys using that, but like the numbers were ticking up. And I know it was ticking up at the amateur ranks, college ranks and, and, and below up until the USGA put the kibosh on it. Um, and, and now you're seeing guys that are doing kind of, quasi anchoring, you know, putting it against their forearm. Uh, there's guys like Bernard Longer that people still to this day will say he's, he's definitely anchoring, even though it looks like he's got a little separation between his sternum and the top of that uh, broomstick putter. But it, but it's such a remarkable thing to me, just how it affected some of these guys. And, and I will say just kudos to Keegan on, you know, finding it again, because that's a, that's a thing with like, you know, being a, a world-class player and a world-class putter to have that like ripped away from you must've just felt really bad for a number of years. Um, yeah. And then he found aim point and became a walking glacier on the greens. Like, I mean, his routine I, and I get Do it. Glaciers walk. Well, yeah. And or, they, do they, or they just trickle. Well, he, he trickles. Um, the, and like, I get it. I guess if you're, I'll say six feet, five feet out or whatever. And there's some break and you kind of are trying to figure it out. And obviously beyond that, you know, you're, you're looking at a lot of different things that happen on the green, but when he's doing it on two and three footers, it's, it's kind of like, all right, guy, like we all play golf on the weekends. We all go out and play. And for the most part, you know, a two footer, unless you're maybe at Augusta or some really, really, really unique spot, you're picking maybe a side of the hole, keeping it inside the cup and being confident with the stroke. Like it, there is just not that much math in, in a two footer. And I know Billy, you've talked about where they, they put pins for the tour, you know, they put them in spots. You can't have them for, for normal places and this and that, but man, like it is, it is just tough, tough to watch. And, and I've talked about it before. I think this is where the coverage does such a disservice to pace a play, because if we know He's going through this elaborate routine every time. The producers are in the truck watching and know when he's about to like stand over the putt and get going. 
cut when he's about to putt. Do not do this whole thing, watch him go. And I, I, I feel bad for the announcers because they have to fill that airtime watching this. And I, I have to imagine they get tired of it at some point. And, you know, obviously when we talked about it at the U S open, when you've got, you know, you're down to, you know, the, the lead, the last groups on 15, there just aren't that many more golf shots to be seen, but early in the day when there's lots of golf shots going on all over the place, just show the golf shots. I don't need to see him and his caddy going through, you know, whether we're going to hit the gap wedge or, you know, a little sawed off pitching wedge from, you know, 125 out and, and trying to figure that I, I don't need to see that early in the day, just show golf shots. And I hope it trickles down to other players and like the amateur ranks. Like, let's just get fast because it is, it is getting slower and slower and slower and Brian and I had the the luxury of playing with one of the kind of the top juniors here in the DC area today. And I, the one thing that struck me is, I mean, he just stood over the ball and swung. There was not, there was not a whole bunch of routine. Now granted, I mean, he's out. It's not a tournament round for him. Um, I, I think I dusted him though. Um, but it was, yeah. I mean, he te- for just for posterity, he does owe both George and I money just for the record, but yeah. We we let him walk since he's you know he he is about to you you will appreciate this Billy he is showing up to Annapolis on Thursday to begin his midshipman's career uh, will be playing for Navy and he's a great great kid but man he was fast loved it I was like oh there's hope there's hope for the youth yeah I mean we we've talked slow play a lot over many podcast episodes and we've come up with our own you know diagnoses for what could be done or rules that could be put in place. I agree with you, George, that oftentimes this is like a producer decision as to what they want to show. And sometimes it is to to fit a narrative. And sometimes they might be like trying to dissuade people from aim point or these these methods by like saying like, man, this is painful. You know, let's let's not all do that, people. Um, I wonder about that stuff, you know, because like on the flip side, I go if I'm the tour, like protect my players. Like, don't make villains out of my players by by showing these things on TV, right? I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's there are some like things that I think that's a real piece of the puzzle too. It's like, is is you want this to be? I mean, it is a entertainment product, and so it has to be a watchable thing. And so, I don't know. I I, I sometimes wonder where all these back end producer league conversations happen and and what that what that looks like and you know i think that that's one of the harder parts about the pga tour specifically is we don't own the broadcast yeah and i i mean to your point i i agree with you billy don't don't make the guys look bad but brian to your point he can just won the tournament so people can be like hey aim point works i mean we've seen it max homo's kind of famously been doing it and his his career has, you know, been on the rise. Um, so I think people might see that it's slow, but it works, right? I mean, you see how how often do we see guys, you know, all of a sudden, what was it? I don't know how many years ago, the claw putting grip showed up on tour. And all of a sudden you started seeing it on the weekends. You saw left hand low show up on the tour. Saw guys breaking out left hand low when nothing else is working. So what what people see on TV 
does show up on the course and it shows 100%. up hundred percent. And so I, I think, and if people see that it's working, they're, they're going to do it. So I, I would prefer if they made a choice to not show it. We're very anti aim point podcast. I think is what, uh, is what maybe we've, we've determined. I, I've I mean, said, I could... I've said, and I'll stick by this. I would love just the data. I want, I want like when it is your turn to putt, show me like the data, show me the averages, because I, I do believe that like a well-trained aim point veteran, you know, someone that's been to the classes, they've gotten taught by, you know, like a certified aim point instructor, they know what they're doing and they can like sort of read it with their feet, decide quickly and go. I could be compelled that that person is just as quick or quicker than someone that would read it from behind the hole, go around and find the low point, you know, read it from the other side of the hole. And so I would just love to see the data. I'm, I'm willing to like withhold judgment on it as good, bad, indifferent up and until the data shows me that it is um, because I, I've played with people that do it and it's been actually like a nothing burger, like, cause they just, they got in there, they felt it with their feet. They put the one or two or three fingers up and they had their system and they went. Um, and so I think it all comes down to like, there are some players that are just slower with the process of aim point. And, and it is a super painful, like particularly George, you're right on like the, the putts where it's just like, come on, man, just knock this in the back. Like we don't need to be evaluating this two footer, you know, eight, 18 different ways. See, that's the one I actually, I'm going to disagree with you guys on that one, because that's the one where I think like, sometimes you have that three footer and you're like, oh, is this going to go a little left? Like, do I, you know, is it straight? Is it, is it right center? Like, oh man, you know, so, so, so in some sense of like, just confirming that in your head, even if you're wrong, right? I mean, even, but, but, but having some confirmation inside of you or conviction about it, it this is right center or or this is dead straight or whatever um i think is really valuable uh so that's that's maybe the the one where i could kind of see it i don't really understand the feet thing you know I, I mean i'm sure i could get taught it if i if i took the time to but um and how to feel the slope and and and, the, and that kind of thing but and understand the math, but, but I'm with you hundred percent, Billy, in the conviction part. And I would never tell a player that was like in, you know, sort of like unconvinced on the line. If they, you know, they need to get that confirmatory evidence in their feet. Like that's fine. If you ever watch like the U S junior am on the, on the women's or the men's side, you will find, and, and George, you know, this from junior golf, there is just endless aim pointing going on and i think if you if we think it's bad now it's going to get real real bad soon well and and i mean i i think at the junior level there might be some families that are paying for it and learning it i think there's a lot of people who think they're doing aim point and they have no idea what they're doing and they're going through a routine because they saw it on tv and like police are like there are classes like there are it's it's a whole thing and I mean, Ben Crenshaw was a pretty good putter. I don't think he did it. Right? I mean, so you can go back and it it's one of those things where I I just look at it as it's a skill. Putting is is a skill. Um, it is probably the most particular skill in the entire game of golf. And it's one of those things where I feel like you either have it or you don't. And you hear guys talk, you know, the, the difference between winning and losing is my putter got hot. And, 
you know, they, they, they'll talk about it in the, the press conference. Like I was just seeing all the lines. I just stood over it. You know, the, you looked at the break and the, the imaginary line just shows up on the green and you're like, that's what that's going to do. All right, perfect. I got it. Take the putter back. Boom. And, and everything's falling. The cup looks like a basketball hoop. And I just don't, I don't know. I, uh, we could probably spend hours on this, which would be just as slow as watching someone use it on a golf course. So I think we should just spare the listeners. Um, special I, edition, aim, special episode of aim point, you know, takes coming up, coming up at a, at a later date. Yeah. Well, Guaranteed to cure insomnia. Yeah. Put it on if you're, if you're feeling like you can't get down and we'll, and we'll lull you to sleep. What I think is also noteworthy about this Keegan victory is he now puts himself very, very squarely into the Ryder cup conversation. And we are at that point in the season. We're kind of, you know, in the, in the middle of, well, early, early days of summer, but it feels like the middle of summer. Um, but we've got a few months remaining until the tour championship in late August that will round out the U S team. Six players will qualify automatically. Six will be captain's picks. And I think one of the more remarkable things that Keegan has done is he's put himself in that part of the conversation, at least for now. And again, we've got a few more months where you'd say like, how do you leave him off the team? Like he may get there on points alone, but just recent play, you'd say he, he looks like a guy that ought to be on the team. And and we were looking actually at an earl, earlier Kyle Porter tweet where he said, Hey, three of the following guys, and I won't read the whole list, but he basically gave a list of 15 guys and said, you know, three of these guys aren't on the team. Pick, pick your three. And it's an interesting thought exercise because you read down that list and you're like, oh yeah, he should be on it. Oh yeah, he should be on it. He should be on it. And and the only one that I read the list and think like, um, maybe he shouldn't be on it is is Justin Thomas. And of course, he sorted sort of showed a bit of form uh, this week and has a few more months to show us that he, you know, ought to be on the Ryder Cup team because his Ryder Cup record would say that he ought to be. Um, and he won the PGA Championship just you know 13 months ago, 14 months ago. Um, but he's one of those guys, as you look down this list of 15 players where you just say, eh, maybe he's the guy that gets left behind. I'll, I'll give it to you, George. Like when you look at this kind of way too early Ryder Cup roster, who do you think uh, meets the bar right now? Well, I, I think, you know, I'll just I'll spin down it real fast. It's Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brooks Kepka, Shoffley, Homa, Cantlay, Spieth, Cam Young, Sam Burns, Morikawa, JT, DJ, Ricky Fowler, Tony Finau, and Keegan Bradley. So, you know, I, I kind of responded to this tweet. Unless he really does something between now and, you know, the, the British Open or at the end of the, the Open, you know, DJ's probably outside looking in. Um, he's he's made the cut at the majors. He He just hasn't looked like DJ. Now, I don't know how much sway people will have in the – with Zach Johnson, everything I've heard is, you know, guys love DJ. He he's great in the locker room. Apparently he's, he's got a good record, I think in the Ryder cup. So he, he could be a captain's pick cam young after last year's just breakout has not looked like the guy that seemed poised to win a major. I mean, I think he finished top five in at least two or three majors last year as a rookie. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I think he's outside looking in uh, as much as JT has been scuffling. He's got a stellar record at the Ryder cup. He and Spieth are, you know, they form a spectacular team together. I think 
he could probably be the one that even if he never truly finds it, he's still going to find that captain's pick. And, and I get it until he shows up and lays an egg. You, you send him. Um, I think Tony Finau probably outside looking in, unless he really gets a heater. Ricky has been playing really, really well. But Tony Finau with the the most on this list, number of worldwide wins in the last 12 months, he's got four. And, and this to me is the hardest part about this thought exercise is when you look down the list, you kind of say like, yeah, he's got to be there. Oh, he's got to be there. Oh, he's got to be there. But, but is he, I mean, they're going to make this course tight. It's a weird layout. It's going to play probably like, like golf national and Paris did or whatever it was. I, I don't know that he, he's got the game that fits that. And, you know, when you're putting these teams together, the other weird chemistry part is who do you pair him with? You know, he, he plays one singles match. Who do you pair him with where you're going to be in this tight course? And he's known as a bomber. He's, he's gotten his game. I think he's might've paired back the bomber and gotten more finesse recently, helping him get these wins. I just, I don't know. Morikawa is also a tough one. Because he's still really good, but he's not Colin Morikawa. Um, and let's not forget that it was, I think him and DJ went 5-0. and oh. they, they, they made a really, really good pair uh, at Whistling Straits. So I, I think that's where this gets weird when you start getting to the captain's picks of grabbing some guys that work well together and you trust in a singles match. Um, and, and some of this, and I think there is a huge popularity contest component to it, which is why I think Ricky probably is sitting more firmly than, than other guys that would still be in the captain's pick zone, just because he is, he is very beloved by the young guys. He is a fan favorite. Um, and to his credit, he's been playing really, really well. So it's, it's not a hard hard ask um burns is one that's kind of weird to me because when he's on he's on and then i think he he kind of goes away a little bit and he i know he was at whistling he was no was he at whistling streets or was it burger they're kind of interchangeable to me okay so like i don't know does he have you've got to have a weird bit of red ass in you for the for the Ryder cup and I just haven't seen enough of him to notice. Does he have that sort of become one of the five best players on the planet for four days a year, every two years? Like, I think JT definitely has that. I think Keegan actually has that. I think Keegan is, and I don't know if it's the best analogy, but I think Keegan could kind of be like that U.S. Polter. Like yeah, he was, he was very rah rah. If you remember, he paired up with Phil Mickelson, and they were right. they were you know exchanging handshakes and and all this like you know you know camaraderie there. It, it it'll it's an interesting thought exercise. I think we're going to have like you know obviously a couple more opportunities. I think coming out of the Open Championship, who wins, who plays well, who finishes you know strongly there will be a good indicator for Captain Zach Johnson. Then of course as we make our way through the FedEx cup playoffs. It'll it'll round itself into form. And then we'll have a bunch of debates for those last six captains picks. I'll toss it to you, Billy, maybe to to conclude this part of the conversation, given the live 
you know, PGA Tour merger. And we'll talk a little bit about the how the U.S. Congress is getting involved. But I'm curious, like, as we make our way to these captain's picks in a few months' time, do you think that DJ and Brooks are going to get a fair nod when it comes to, like, is it DJ or Finau? Is it Brooks or uh you know ricky fowler like i'm I'm curious like when those are going to be like in the balance are they going to get the 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 fair nod fairer nod now that we have this merger in front of us i think it might be fairer than it would have been a month ago as as we talk about you know the the kind of divide that was and the merger that is but i don't think it's a apples to apples choice if i, I that, that that's my sense of it um you know, obviously the PGA of America is is, is responsible for the Ryder Cup, uh, not the PGA Tour. So if it were the President's Cup, it would be quite different. Um, but, you know, that said, Zach Johnson is a PGA Tour member, um, as, as well as obviously a member of the PGA of America. But so I don't I don't know how he's going to take his hat off on that or not. He's he's in the last six, 12 months, he's tipped his personal hand very strongly against live and and has walked some of that back but so my hunch is no if it's if it's hanging in the balance between you know well-liked ricky fowler and well-liked dustin johnson i think it would probably tip i'm gonna say it would tip away from dustin i'm not gonna say it's gonna tip to- for ricky but it's tipping away from dustin just because of the live thing I think it's impossible to keep Brooks off this team. That sounds just ludicrous to me at this moment in time. I think he's um, in points. I, I, I mean, unless yeah, he... but I mean, but there's a lot to be happen. I mean, right? He's not second in points, so I mean, it's and only top six qualify. So there's a you know a lot of ways at which he could, you know, be seventh. Let's say, right? Because he's only going to play one more tournament that gets points, where the rest of the guys are going to play three That's or fair. four. You know. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's just kind of ludicrous that, that Brooks wouldn't be on this team. I think, you know, you got, we started with like three of these people aren't going to be on the team. I'd say four because there's somebody who's not on that list that's going to get on a run, you know, that, 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 that just kind of is going to come from. Yeah, there's going to be like, there's going to be the, nowhere, the, Denny, but... the Denny McCarthy that wins a playoff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, just, how do you leave yeah, me right. You just, you just look at Brian Harmon, you know, shot six, seven under today, and he just went to 22nd or something in the FedEx Cup. Right. So, like, though, that's a different conversation yeah. than, you know, somebody who's 40th and, you know, or, or 80th and just went to 55th with a, with a great finish. Right. So, yeah. and, and so I there's somebody else. Brian Harmon, because I've said forever, he's the, he's the best putter in the world. If you gave me a, a 10 footer and, you know, said, someone's got to putt this for you, it'd be Brian Harmon. Isn't he Canadian? He'd be on top of the list. No, no, no. Brian's from Savannah, Georgia. Oh, okay. Um, not Canadian. Uh, <laughs> at, at him in the Ryan Fox, not Australian, category. not Australian category. That's right. That's right. But we talked oh. a little bit about, um, you know, I mentioned that Congress is getting involved. You know, much has been made, much has been commented, much has been speculated in the last three weeks since the great merger news dropped, dropped like a bomb on us. But what do we know? Is there anything really new? And I think almost unequivocally, the answer is like, no, we don't really know anything. Like nothing is concrete. We've heard some comments from Jimmy Dunn. We've heard some players comment and speculate, but nothing is concrete. It's very much still a framework. Now, the interesting wrinkle in this is that now the U.S. Congress 
has gotten involved. Senator Richard Blumenthal, Blumenthal from Connecticut. He's the chair of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. He has asked for Greg Norman, Jay Monahan, and the PIF uh, Governor Yasser al-Ramayan to testify before this Senate committee. Uh, he has asked them to be prepared to discuss the circumstances and terms of the planned agreement and how these new entities will be structured, the expected impact, blah, blah, blah. And they've asked- So wait, do I understand that Congress wants them to discuss something they don't know yet? Yeah. They, they want them they, to be prepared to discuss the details of an agreement that doesn't exist? And, and the first showdown is going to be in three days when they said, you know, give us your, confirm your attendance by the 28th. Thus far, the, the PJ Tour has said, we will be happy to comply, but we haven't heard anything from Greg Norman or the PIF. Um, and I, I just cannot imagine Yasser shows up before Congress. I just, I don't see it. No, I don't think I, there's any chance of that. Yeah, there's, there's no way. And like, I, if it's a very closed shop in the world of competitive golf, if who's harmed by these groups coming together, arguably, depending what it finally looks like when it's done, it's better for the sponsors. It's better for TV. It's better for fans because there should be some movement. There should be, you know, players having more flexibility to go back and forth. However, that looks is it you play one season, you basically at the end of every season, everyone's a free agent and you, you kind of go where you want to go. It, there's so many fluid pieces. And I feel like at the end of the day, this will be better for everybody that there's peace. Um, it wasn't as though there was this great competitive thing because candidly, where was Congress when Jay was making moves to penalize people he had no authority over by saying, if you play live, you can't play here, even though you don't have status here, you're not a member here, but just by the mere appearance of a live event, I'm going to suspend you for one year from trying through our very open methods of membership to be here. Where was Congress then? And I also want to take a moment to remind everybody where did we play golf this weekend in the nutmeg state of Connecticut? Where is Blumenthal from? The nutmeg state of Connecticut. So I think this is an opportunity for some bluster and everything else. So I, I am not, Congress is not going to do anything about this. I don't know what they could do. I don't, none of it makes any sense. Yeah, certainly Congress is going to have a hard time with this, but the DOJ is going to have a field day. And I mean, I think that if you have, I mean, just from just a, from just a silly, uh, oversimplified version, I'm suing you for anti-competitive behavior. You're suing me for anti-competitive behavior. Let's just create a new company together and have no anti-competitive behavior anymore. That doesn't make any sense, right? I'm suing you because you're a monopoly. You're suing me because I'm a monopoly. We're going to become a monopoly together. So like from an FTC, from a, from a DOJ standpoint, antitrust standpoint, like I don't know, like, I'm, you know, don't know anything about how that actually works in the real world, but just from like a, a sniff test, it seems like they're at least going to do something that's going to make this, you know, 
take longer. But right? it, it comes back to who's the damaged party. The, the whole point is to have like openness and competition. But yeah, once... so you know who the damaged party potentially is, is the players. Are they though? Potentially. That's what How? I said. Because yeah, we pot- don't potentially. This is what like Elizabeth Warren has said is like you can't cry that this was a monopoly and you know the the supply of highly talented world-class players, you know, were being squeezed and and then say, Oh, now we have a giant monopoly and potentially the players aren't gonna get squeezed. And and that's well, I guess this is goes into the bucket of the things we just don't know. Correct. Uh, is obviously and you know, I go back again to that Delaware meeting sometime around, well, towards the late summer last year. August 22nd and, or something. And I think at that meeting, whoever advised those players gave them horrible, horrible, horrible advice. Because rather than, all right, guys, we're going to get together and tell Jay what we want, they should have told him, Jay, we're going to live unless you open this up let's get something going and sit down and use it as a real lever to figure out peace at that point in time and because now because everyone got you know doug i mean again you go back to i guess the first live event and all the rhetoric the tour spouted they got horrible advice they did it the exact the horrible worst way you could possibly do it and the the players at that point had a ton of leverage, particularly if they banded together, you know, in a at least a short term quasi union unified stance to be like, this is stupid. We want the ability to go play for to maximize our value. And you have to go figure out how to you guys sit down and figure out how to make this work. And they didn't. They they kind of just gave a list of demands said, we just want you to pay us this much money and we'll stay. And then their leverage is all gone. And so I, I don't know. I think the I think the players still stand to be the real winners here, particularly if there's flexibility, if there's more money flowing to things like the DP World Tour. So European players, if they want to stay home, can stay home. They don't have to come to the PGA Tour just because you, you're paying. I mean, it, the purses are nine to one. PGA versus DP World Tour or something ridiculous. So if if this equals, if this somehow brings an evening, and it will never be even, the PGA Tour probably will still be the preeminent just because of the eyeballs and sponsors and things like that. But if there's a way where the players now have a real choice to make across what we will say are the three top tours in the world and, you know, I realize a lot of people roll their eyes if you want to just throw live as the immediate third top tour in the world. But let's just, for argument's sake, say that's where we're at. Players, if they have choices now because they've come together, that's got to be a net benefit to players. And I think, and I say that knowing that's a net benefit to the top tier of players. What happens to the middle and lower tier of players probably isn't awesome that might actually be a little bit of a step backwards. But if there's a path to this cool super tier, then ultimately that I think you say is a net benefit. 
And I chalk that up to like, we just don't know. And I cannot imagine, I don't know what the the, the hearing date will be, but I doubt they're going to have it all figured out. Like, I, I think we could be many, many months away from having clarity on what 24-ish, but more, more likely probably totally 25 agree. and beyond looks like. Totally agree. I, well, yeah. you know who's going to, who will really clarify it? is if we get Kevin Fetterman just asking great oh, questions gosh. that that will that will make it clear but I tend to, and but I tend to think this particular hearing and I think there's going to be other committees subcommittees that are going to want to talk about this in the Senate and in the House and to your point Billy like the DOJ and the FTC and so I think a lot of government entities and committees in Congress are going to want to have their moment to like grill or you know extract their piece of flesh out of this thing I think this one in particular is going to ask, like, how much can a sovereign wealth fund come in and participate in U.S. sports entities? And so this is where I and I continue to think that the reason, quote unquote, control continues to be the line that's that's like, you know, used a lot is because they think that that's going to survive government scrutiny, that to be able to say, no, 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 the PIF is just an investor and they're minority investor and it's. You know, it's sort of, they're just now a proud partner. And just like anyone else, they're a proud partner, but we still manage golf and we're still running golf. And and that may end up surviving scrutiny up and until like this thing actually gets rolling. But I, I think we're, I think we're months, we, months, we, months we just away. don't know. Right. And, and, and that's, and that's to me, George, you know, like, yes, I agree. The players will probably, you know, more than likely overwhelmingly more than likely 90, 10, come out as huge winners in this, but there's a scenario in which they don't. And that's the scenario in which we don't know. And that's why I say like, so who's the monopoly against? It's actually against the players who then have no, who, who have then have no potential competitive market to use their skills and earn money in because the market's been closed off by an entity that now owns it. And so that's, anyway, I think that's a very low probability. I get all that. I'm just saying it exists as a potential outcome. And then just real quick, Brian, on the idea of control, you're right. That's what's been thrown around. That's what's been kind of like held onto by some PGA Tour idealists. And there's going to be a lot of PGA Tour players who are going to get a crash course in corporate governance and board control very very quickly and they're and, not gonna like what they learn and here's the deal i actually i have the solution that will get this through doj muster they will drop everything and we are off to the races everything's fine one of those board seats on this new entity hunter biden it's done it was all taken care of so slot him in there i mean the man he knows oil so obviously he can speak with the saudis um and I, he knows everything else probably too. You slot him in, DOJ just drops their pencils and go home. Slam dunk. I bet Jimmy is WhatsApping him right now. <laughs> we've, we've officially jumped the shark. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to go to, I, I, you know, there's no greater segue I could make to our great golf debate. George mentioned that it is member guest season. I hope that many of our listeners are playing in a great member guest or hosting someone at their own member guest. And so I wanted to talk about member guest formats. And I wanted to talk with with you guys as member guests, you know, veterans of, of many, many that you've hosted and played in. 
give me your best member guest format. And, and it would be sort of like the camaraderie, the competitiveness. Uh, there's a lot of different types and I'll, I'll kick it to you, George. Uh, what do you think ought to be played at a, at a great, you know, member guest? I don't know. I think our club does it really well that it's, you play, we have 54 holes. And so you play, you know, I think 18 has best ball, 18 all shot, 18 scramble um, between the two courses. She plays to play nine, nine, nine twice. And I think that's great. I I'm a big, you know, it, it makes it interesting you know, alt shot always gets everybody a little white knuckled, uh, understanding the situation. You, the scramble, a two man scramble usually is fun. You think you're going to go deep. Uh, we had, um, a, a very prominent member of our club who, uh, may or may not be the captain of our A team and his, he and his partner, who is also a scratch golfer during the scramble took a double on a hole in a scramble format. So you usually think it's going to be a birdie fest and all that good thing. And it can get off the rails. So I, I think that's a great thing. I actually, you know, I'll I'll let you guys finish this, but I have, I have a follow-up question um, on, on what's the best format for play. Well, certainly you guys at, you know, army Navy country club with, with 54 holes is a very unique, you know, setup. Um, You know, there are very few golf facilities that have 54 holes. There are, more that have 36 and, 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 and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, what I will tell you, I, I don't know the best format. Cause it's, I mean, like I don't actually play these things. I mean, I say that I don't actually play these things and I played one this last weekend, but, um, what I can tell you is you cannot win a flight when you are a plus five. That's just what I'll say. That's what I'll confirm. For anybody out there curious, what's the magic number at which you have no chance? It's plus five. So, Billy, you know, what, what is the number of strokes you had to give up on a nine hole match? What is what would be the most? I, you I had gave to give up? I gave nine. You gave nine? I gave nine. I mean, in, in fairness, this guy was like a you know, 12 handicap who happened to be playing with a scratch. So he ends up dumped into the, you know, championship flight, kind of, you know, whatever. Um but I gave up seven and a half. I gave up nine. I mean, I'm giving up three shots to scratch players in nine holes. Well, and also let's not forget since it is member guest season, I presume the 12 all of a sudden, like I've never shot 72. I don't even know what happened. I can't believe it. Give this guy seven and a half shots and he wins like, you know, five holes. I mean, he's like, I mean, Goodness gracious, man! Like, like the guy played college golf, and he's a twelve. Now he's a thirteen. I mean, get out! I was going to say, and and member guest season always brings about sandbagging season, and people that are just you know padding that cap all the way up and until uh, you know they can they can they can drop that. Like, ah, I've never made four birdies on a side before. That's amazing. I've never done that before. For me, I, I do, George, I agree with you. I like mixing it up between, you know, modified alt shot, scramble and and best ball. So I think variety to me is is the best format. I also think I've played in some where you play 18 holes with the same group and then you play 18 holes, you know, the next day with the same group. I, I really do like, again, what our club does where every nine holes you get to switch it up and you're playing with someone different. So 
I think anyone that's like thinking about, you know, their, their club or has maybe influence over their club, like just think about variety and think about getting, you know, more matches with more groups. Um, because I think that's the, you know, it's, it's competitive. It's, it's competition. Of course, everyone wants to win, but you also just want to meet people, have a good time and, and really like enjoy, enjoy the weekend. And so I think, you know, variety is, is a good combination there. All right. And I'm going to, I'm going to follow up. I agree with everything you said there and taking it away from member guest season. Um, I, I have rallied railed, whatever you want to say against slow play at every turn. It is the thing I despise most about any potential golf round. So my follow-up question is what is the best format for a club to encourage its members to go play on a weekend round. And I will start by saying, if you are in a foursome, the best format for fun, for pace of play, it lets you get some gambling going, is either, you know, a Nassau, you know, best ball, two-man teams, because you can just pick it up if your partner's in and just move along. Um, You know, you can concede putts, all those good things. But we... So many times, like today, we were kind of stuck behind a group. They weren't that bad. They were definitely playing slow, and they definitely were not playing a game, and everyone was hitting the bottom of the cup no matter what was left. And, oh, my God, like it's people have got to figure it out. Play a game. I don't care what it is. Teams, and if you are going to make seven, pick it up. Let your partner put in for four and move on i agree that you know team games and 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 the caveat being that if people will pick it up like that's that's sometimes the problem is like somebody wants to post their score or you know have feel like they know what they actually shot or what you know whatever um but so so i think well so, so i'll go back so i think that that is for pace of play, you know, you're playing some sort of game, you know, partner, yeah, pick it up. That's good. Whatever. I will say that that leads to what I believe is like the rule of a hundred. And that is that if you actually play golf, you play by the rules of golf, you hold all of your putts, all of them hit the bottom. You drop the ball where you're supposed to, you play the ball down you you know hit provisionals and re-tee when you're supposed to and you break 100 you are a really really good golfer because of the exact scenario you just described george no one does this and so no one actually knows how good they aren't because they've never like they play very few rounds where they hole them all they play very few rounds where, oh yeah just drop one over there yeah, yeah yeah it was down somewhere near there yeah yeah hit two from over there you know, whatever, right? They, they that just how you fluff it in the rough because oh, you're you're in a hole, you're near a tree root. You know, don't hurt your wrist today. You know, like oh, all that kind of stuff, right? And you just and and that's like you know easily like four shots for like a five handicap. No, and so what you end up with though, to the counterpoint of that, is you probably end up with a decent amount of vanity handicaps out there. Sure. Guys, guys who love to puff their chest out. Oh, I'm a four. And uh, way like, more vanity handicaps than sandbaggers, like, yeah. like, like 10 to one. In yeah. The world, oh, really. you're a four. I've never seen you break 80, but oh, okay. Um, and, and to your point on that, and this is, I did it, I think last year was the first year I actually played in our club stroke play championship. Um, and 
my one of our our good buddies at the club kind of was like talking me into it and the, his whole point was just do it right like it's fine you're not going to win you know you're not going to win but standing over to your point earlier billy that two footer that three footer and you know it's for bogey and if it's just us out banging balls having a, a sunday game you stand right over you might even kind of like half tap it and it's just gonna go straight in the hole when you're standing there knowing you record every single stroke that three footer has eight feet of break in it and everything in the world is in your head that could go wrong your hands are a little nerve like sweaty the whole bit and it was the best thing i ever did to kind of help me push through from always and that last year was the year i went from kind of always bobbing between four and five and i got down to two and a half and it was because i just played that round um i think you know, I shot probably mid eighties both days, uh, but it was just that like nerviness and then getting comfortable by the end with that nerviness was, was great. So I would tell, and I think that's the, I, I I've heard that this is what they do in a lot of clubs in Europe is, you know, most of the, the rounds you will go out and play are all matches, you know, either a NASA or whatever, but then it's, it's one, one day a month is their kind of handicap day Everyone goes out, hits cups. That's how handicaps get set. And then you're just playing matches for the rest of the time, which I think is great. I think if you if you did that, so everybody knows, hey, man, it's the 25th. It's the last Sunday of the month. We're going out. Got to hit cups. This is the deal. Everyone knows what you're in for. It's going to be slow. It's going to be a thing. But all the other days, we're setting up matches. You got your handicaps. Play your matches. Take your pops. Let's move on. Let's go. And let's try to play in less than four hours if we can. I tend to think a lot of this is just kind of situational and like reading the situation. I'll give the example of I I I played in a lot of charity events that are scrambles. And Billy, we played in this event that was a shamble. And for those of you that don't know that format, that is all four players will hit their T-ball. We go to the best T-ball. And then we all play in from there. And, you know, whether or not it's like a, two best balls out of four or three best balls out of four, you all play in from that spot. So you've got four different scores theoretically from the best tee ball. And I think that's a really good format because I find scrambles to be just painfully slow and sometimes just really tedious. And it all depends on the group. It's all situational, of course. But I agree with you, George, there's like situational golf where there are some days when there's value in hitting 18 cups. If you're preparing for a club championship or a qualifier or some event where you, you need to, you know, practice the discipline of hitting 18 cups, but on a random, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday round, when you just want to move it around, I think, yeah, find, find a game that is both competitive, but also fun and keeps the pace moving. And so I, again, go back to like, it's all situational and I would love us to see, uh, you know, do, do more of maybe the, the England European thing where, we play more alt chop or we play more events where we're just like keeping the flow and keeping the variety going. Yes. Anything that keeps play moving, keeps it fast, keeps it fun. And you can, like you said, you can have some bets going that always makes it exciting. You, you don't have to make it, you know, absurd. You know, you can do a five, five, 10 Nassau five on the front, five on the back, $10 for the overall win. Keep it very kind within your friends. Uh, we, we were joking today with the kid we played with that, you know, you get it all, all of a sudden find yourself in some, some games. And we have some guys at our club that they, they just, for them, it's not exciting unless it is so much money that 
it makes you really nervous. And that that's their adrenaline thing. And I've gotten stuck in some of those games and it is, there is nothing worse than being literally, I can, on the 18th hole, we were playing Wolfhammer. And I mean, I had already probably got on Amazon and spent the 150 bucks. I was guaranteed to win. And this guy from an impossible spot chipped in for Eagle and with hammers and everything that flew, flew around in about eight seconds of time, I had to Venmo him $360. Like it got so stupid so fast that I was like, I think I actually, because of my already in my brain, like I was like, I've already, I know what I'm doing this 150. I think I was out 510 in my, in my, I was just like, I'm just gutted. This was the worst 12 minutes of golf of my life. Just watching this unfold. Um, so I, those games every now and then can be fun. Uh, I, I'm not a super fan of them because sometimes you get in it with guys who are, they are just like, I'm just going to make chaos and make the numbers so chaotic that everyone falls off the rails. Um, but I, I'm just talking about for, for your standard Saturday, Sunday games, whatever it's going to be play with partner, take on the other two people in your group, you know, best ball, pick it up when you're out of the hole and, you know, let's go, let's, let's give two footers unless it's literally on the 18th hole for a big push or something like that. I get it. Got to hit the cup. Um, I'm a big believer, no matter how close it is, birdies got to hit the cup. Uh, and you just go from there. You keep it fast, keep it fun. No reason to grind for no reason. Well, less, less of a debate, more, uh, a lot of good thoughts and find us on Twitter at living it up pod. Let us know your thoughts on best member guest format, best format to keep it competitive and jovial out there on the golf course. So we will look forward to what is next. Nope. On, on Live Golf, we've got uh, Liv Valderrama in Spain, uh, famously host of the 1997 Ryder Cup, and then since then has been uh, a staple on the DP World Tour schedule, but will now host Live out there in Andalusia, Spain. And then on the PGA Tour, we have the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Billy, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm often wrong, but are you technically a past champion of the Rocket Mortgage, or did your event wither into the ether in some way my event dissolved yeah so i am uh i am a champion of an event that no longer exists it did not transfer they create it was a new event that was created in detroit isn't rocket um, mortgage and quicken loans some somehow they are, I, well, I, if i have to petition the league office yeah. let me know no yeah, yeah yeah technically i mean if you really want to i mean i i should be like in in one way i could petition that i'm past champion of riviera because that's where my event went to. Um, oh. Although I didn't, although I didn't win at Riviera, but but Tiger Woods, you know, Tiger Woods' event is uh, is is at Riviera uh, in in February now. But no, they they it was a, it's a new event um, in 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 that way. But the Rocket Mortgage is provided by Quicken Loans, so that's the connection there. The Rocket Mortgage is a product that Quicken Loans offers, right? So. Uh, nope, not a, not, not a member of the, uh, Detroit golf royalty yet. So also I will, I will tell everybody just don't believe anything you see on Twitter for the next week or so, unless you see it come from a player's Twitter account, because this will be the first live event since the news of the merger, and everybody wanted to go and throw all these huge names out that are going to be all of a sudden on the move. They're pissed. They want to go cash their checks. And, you know, the 
there was news release right out of the gate with the live some live guys saying, oh, we can finally go get these big names and blah, blah, blah. Everyone just calm down. There's going to be rumors flying around about this, that, and the other thing. And unless you see a player tweet it themselves. Just... Unless you see a player put it in the ground in Spain on Friday. Correct. Let's go one step further. Okay. That, that is that is correct. I we were I I I do a lot of our Twitter stuff and I was very adamant last year when names get thrown around. I was like, I just I'm not gonna buy in and retweet and like amplify this because we're putting guys in weird positions where they're basically making not denying something that was never happening in the first place. And so I'm just tell everybody pump the brakes on on all the speculation. And then the other thing we didn't really touch on because I don't think a lot of people could see it because it was hidden behind a pay-per-view, find pay for your app, watch it at weird times, was the KPMG Women's uh, PGA Championship, which there was a lot of, obviously, hype that Rose Zhang was going to go. She made a charge today to, to sort of make it interesting, but she could not hold it, hold on to it or she could not catch the leader. So the 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 legend of Rose might have to wait uh, another week to to keep going. Yeah, still a solid top ten. Finished T eighth with a, a final round sixty seven today. Your winner, and I apologize if I mispronounce this, Ronin Yin uh, from China shoot, shoots a final round sixty seven, wins by one over Yuka Sasso. Uh, so congrats to her. And and yeah, this was an event that I uh, did not see, and and that is a bummer, George. If this was one of those ones where you had to hop around different stations and apps and paywalls. I, I think it lived on, I think it lived on Peacock the whole time. And which is a shame because it got to NBC for the weekend. I think, I think it was maybe the first couple of rounds, but it was, it was NBC proper okay, for, for, for the weekend and a, and a $9 million purse. I mean, that's, that's, that's a very um, healthy purse in the women's game. I mean, it's become a common stance purse is kind of comical. It's a common stance purse in, in the men's game now, but um, you know, definitely uh well done to to Baltistral as the as the host course there, and um, you know heard heard pretty much nothing but but good things about the the kind of redesign uh, since since we last played there for the PGA Championship, and um, yeah another 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 solid solid tournament on the ladies side. Well, and that's that's the other thing for for people looking to watch if you if you're one of those viewers that kind of tune in for a cool course as much as you tune in for the players. Uh, the women's major Rhoda is, is getting beefed up big time. And uh, I think the women's U S opens pebble this year. Yeah. Coming up. Right. Pebble Beach. So, uh, you know, to tune into the ladies because fellas, I got news for you. They basically play your member tees and they play it way better than you do. So if you're, if you're looking to figure out how to make your game better, don't don't watch Rory. Uh, watch watch Rose. Watch Nelly. Watch watch these players get around, basically hitting your distances, and and just going lights out. Totally agree with that. Well, hey boys, this was a fun one. I will look forward to uh, fingers crossed. We'll see if there are any any big uh, explosions in the world of golf. It seems like every not a week goes by where there isn't something. Uh, groundbreaking that happens so we'll see if we have a quiet one or or not well wait one more thing and if we touched on it you can cut this brian did we did we talk about one, one more thing brought to you by so, do we need to find a sponsor, a sponsor for this, for this. so by, by did, george dow law firm or something did, i mean like you can at least pay for the segment that's right I mean, 
Uh, I, I will do that. I will I will credit some uh, membership okay. shares to everybody. Right. Okay. Did, did we talk about Rory again, just contradicting himself like a... Birdies are bad. Be, birdies are good. Being annoying. Birdies are bad. Birdies oh, are this good. this tournament, I don't like these birdies. These birdie fests aren't good. You, you know, you, you shoot a good score and you go backwards. And in March of this year, he literally said, bogeys are bad. That we want to see scores move tournaments forward. Guy, like... So I said, it's all about the the conditions. Twelve unders won this, and twenty five unders won this golf tournament. I mean, so it, it has nothing to do with the golf course. They, okay, it's all right. Just... I wasn't going to bring this up, but Rory hit it three hundred and eighty four yards on eighteen today. Okay, like he he had a place that looked like he hit it under the lip of a fairway bunker and had to wedge it out, and he was hitting his third shot. He was hitting his second shot. He hit it three hundred eighty four yards. He missed the green from fifty five yards. Oh my gosh. Yeah, right. And and not even to like a tucked pin from his angle or anything like that. Okay. Like he just straight hit it 46 yards from 56 yards. Yeah. So, and I mean, like, so anyway, best driver of the golf ball on earth, maybe ever on earth. And we've got to retool the wedge game. Yeah. Stop flapping your gums and hit that range and get those wedges down, man. Like, God, just him saying that and knowing that the, the tweet is out there, the quote is out there literally from six months ago, three months ago literally contradicting himself again just stop again uh pr pr advice you know dms are open i am ready to help billy can help with Bill the belichick rory, rory we can we can help we can, we can help we can help all right boys well hey this was a fun one i look forward to uh recapping it all again next week see you boys Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.